If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians once again. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read verses 15 through 21. Uh, we looked at them uh, briefly last week. I want to, to revisit them and hopefully do something more in the way of some application uh, related to the issues uh, that are unfolded for us. Again, uh, Ephesians 5 and verse uh, 15. Sometimes as I work over sermons or prepare for sermons, and this was one that I kind of had difficulty in figuring out kind of where I was going. Most times uh, when I leave here on Sunday afternoon or, or when I start Monday morning, I pretty much, it comes pretty easily. Okay, here's where we're going next. Here's where we're going next. This is, this is what I'm going to say. Uh, this was not one of those uh, weeks. Could have something to do with VBS. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, perhaps. But uh, at, at any rate, uh, uh, kind of struggled through wh- how where to go next uh, in in our family uh, series. And and part of my purpose, and, and and as I looked at what I was doing, I, I felt like, well, I'm just making a laundry list, you know. And, and you know, here's a bunch of stuff that can go uh, sideways in in marriage. And to be sure, that's kind of part of it. But I want to, to look at some of these issues and make you aware that in this business of marriage, uh, that there are none, no marriages that are perfect, and everyone at least hits speed bumps along the way. Okay? That there are always challenges, there are always baggage that you bring into the marriage and then baggage that you develop within the marriage and but yet because of God's grace and that's why at the center of this admonition on the home that follows our our text here that's why there's such a great necessity for us to be filled with the spirit that the only way for wholeness within the home is for maturity for the individual participants in the marriage, for the man and the woman. Uh, Otherwise, uh, to varying degrees, and again, I've told you before, there are unbelievers that stay married for 70 years and don't kill each other in the process for the most part. But if you would know God's best within this thing we call marriage, then the working of the Spirit is absolutely essential. So let's look at this uh, this morning. I just call it dealing with the rough places. Uh, if there wouldn't be a whole lot of amens today, that would probably probably go well for, for most of us. Uh, you know, uh, no speaking in tongues or jumping pews or anything like that uh, uh, in celebration of uh, what's uh, mentioned here. Verse 15, Ephesians chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Pray with me, if you will. Father, once again, we confess our dependence upon you. The Word of God did not come from us. It came from you. You inspired it. You gave it to us. And how we depend on that very same Spirit to illuminate our minds, to help me to understand and to speak clearly, and for these people to understand and apply these things to our lives. And so I pray that indeed uh, you would work and that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we would live out that which you have spelled out for us in your Word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Paul comes to this section, very practical part of the book of Ephesians. How do you live out the implications of the gospel in a fallen world, in a world that's filled with difficulty, filled with different types of uh, adversity? And he comes here to, to kind of a, a, a high point, a, a, a transition point maybe would be the better term. And he, he says to us, he admonishes us in, in verse 15, to be careful, to, to be careful. One of the things, in fact, we, we were just talking about this. Uh, I've never been the, you know, that, uh, what, uh, the, the, the guy that's smooth as silk, that glides uh, around like a gazelle, you know. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a stomper. You know, I'm just, you know, look like a refrigerator passing through, you know, the room or something. But the older I get, the clumsier I get. Yeah. And you may kind of resonate with, with, with that. And I, I have to be careful because, you know, particularly if I step on an uneven place, I go splat or, you know, kind of stumble. Well, you have to be alert. And, and really... One of the essential concepts to be found throughout the New Testament is be alert. Be sober. It, 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 it's dangerous out there. It's easy to be harmed. It's easy to stumble. And sometimes when you stumble, you and, you and others that you care about get hurt in your stumbling. So look. Look around. Be careful. Assess the terrain that you're traversing. And again... My vernacular, don't be stupid, be smart, okay? It is very unwise to not be aware of that which is around you. You know, if you ever go to one of these kind of self-defense or even some of the things that we've talked about in church security, is you need to be aware. And I, I, I'm pretty, if I, you know, even if I'm in a parking lot of a shopping center after dark i'm kind of aware if there's somebody following me back to the car or some you know i'm just kind of sensitive to what's going on uh around me and and so how we need to to be alert and aware as to what's going on because these things that are going on around us are putting pressure upon us and other fellow uh believers and we're going to be tempted to spend our time on things that don't matter. Notice that next phrase, making the best use of time. Now, I remember in kindergarten, some of those grading categories, uh, talks too much, I know y'all don't know what I made there, talks too much, keeps his hands to himself, uh, works and plays well with others. I was not the valedictorian in my kindergarten class but makes the best use of time. 
Y'all remember that? Well, you know, again, are you making the best use of the finite number of days that God has given you? Because they are finite, they are numbered. And so, are, are you investing in the vanities of life, the, the things that even as the shadows grow longer, okay, as the shadows grow longer in life, you recognize, I've been on a fool's errand. But certainly in eternity, will you look back and go, how much time I wasted. And so, we are to not be foolish, we're to make the best use of our times, and we're going to be pressured into capitulating to the world's vanities, okay? The days are evil. The, the world is going to dictate to you what the priorities of your home should be, okay? The, the world is going to have a, a plethora of, of things that, that are good in, in a sense and are, and are appealing and look like they would be something good for your family, for your children, but in and of themselves. They are vanity. And so be careful. Know what God's will is, which is what? Now, notice verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine. Well, certainly that's a literal statement, right? I mean, don't, don't be under the influence of alcohol, okay? Be under the influence of, of the Spirit. But I also think it's, it's kind of illustrative and metaphorical. That is, don't be drunk with the world's ideologies. Don't, don't become inebriated with the world's values. Again, don't let the world dictate to you what the priorities of your life and your home are. But we are to be filled with the Spirit. And, and as I say, as Baptists, we, you know, we're afraid of this. We've got to have control. And so we wouldn't want God to have control. He does, whether you like it or not. But we are to pursue being filled with God's Spirit so that we will be discerning related to the, to the will of God. And even, we talked about last week, how we come together for this business of addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking, singing and making melody to the, the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks. How much more so we need to do that in the home? Is your home a place of mutual edification or is one or, or one or both of you or all of you constantly tearing each other down telling each other how whatever you are but but the home is to be a place of encouragement and edification and again beginning the modeling of biblical order of the submission one another again we talked about that it's really not you know everybody submitting to each other as understanding the proper roles there's really three realms of authority biblically okay and they're really not to interfere with each other we have civil authority it is right for you to stop at that stop sign in fact it's a sin for you not to to obey the speed laws is a good thing okay that that, that it's a sin not to. We could go on and on. There's legitimate civil authority. There's legitimate authority within the church. Okay? Vested in the elders. And again, we are Baptists. There's some 
type of authority vested within the congregation. Uh, the leadership of the church has no authority to remove a person from membership, but the church does. It's exactly the way Paul spells it out. The church does. So the, there's a certain realm of authority. Where's the third realm? It's within the home. And here's the thing. I don't want the civil government stepping in to tell you how to run your home. Do you? Do you, do you understand that, that, that there's a legitimate boundary there for civil government? Now, abuse or something like that, then possibly civil government would step in. Certainly, if, if someone within the church was involved in some type of abusive situation, I would hope the church would step in, okay? Would step in and, and defend the weak. But, but there are three legitimate realms, and there is an order within the home, and Paul spells it out. You have husbands exercising headship, wives uh, submitting to that headship, and then children obeying the leadership of parents. That's the properly ordered home. And that all sounds really good and really simple. It ought to just really work well until it doesn't, right? And for all of us living in a fallen world, those things go sideways in a hurry. And so let's look at some of these ways and the way I've categorized this. If one of these things is true of your life, you may need a year of counseling to get it worked out. I mean, I, I, I cannot fix it here in the pulpit, but I'm just telling you that we all share in the fallenness and the pressures of the world upon our individual lives and within our homes, okay? And there are resolutions. And Again, the resolution is biblical, and the re resolution is spiritual, namely being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, I start here, why, why are there so many rough patches in the home? Why does the world dictate what our home should be? Well, I begin with an unbiblical foundation, and I can even reach back a little bit. One of the phenomenons that I see today been seeing it for probably my generation of parents began this. It's what I think is typically called helicopter parents, always hovering over their kids. All, all, can't, can't, can't let them get out of your eyesight, okay? Can't, can't let them establish some identity. Can't let them feel the, the, the weight of, of their own bad decisions. Always got to bail them out. And so they enter into marriage, and all of a sudden, let me tell you something. Mom and Daddy may have always bailed you out, but when you marry somebody and you transgress some boundaries, they won't nobody be there to bail you out. You know, somebody's going to be mad. And so they're not prepared to suffer the consequences of their actions. And then that leads to this concept that's prevalent in our society, prolonged adolescence or postponed adulthood, either way you want to look at it. But... The idea of what, what is it they say now, you know, the 60s, the new 50, and 30s, you know, that, that language. There's a sense where that's not good. You've got 30-year-olds that have the emotional equilibrium of a teenager. They, they, they've never been held accountable, and, and so they're not prepared to enter in to this one flesh relationship. And so we allow that. 
parents nurture that. And, and sometimes it's, a, what, do, what do you call it, the codependency. That is, the parent has a great need to be needed, and, and, and the child continues to, to take advantage of that. Okay? So you have helicopter parents, prolonged adolescence, and then just the whole idea. You know, superficially speaking, you might say that mine and, and Dale's upbringing was very similar. You know, I mean, obviously there's not, there's dissimilarities, but, you know. But let me tell you something. If you really teased it out, I came from one world and she came from another. And some of our problems was, you know, who, whose who's worldview is going to predominate within this home? More about that in just a moment. So you've got children entering into this thing called marriage, and they simply have these kind of problems, parents that have carried them their entire life, leading to prolonged adolescence, and then just the differences between various ways homes do things, and they don't have a biblical foundation, or they have an unbiblical foundation. That is, you have not taught your children. You have not demonstrated before your children what the biblical home looks like. So they don't have a clue. They go out and, and, and get married because the hormones are raging, and then they don't have a clue what in the world they've gotten into. And so you want to intentionally instruct your child so they will not be ignorant of the things of God as they pertain to this business of, of marriage. You know, and I wish now, I can look back and say I should have been more intentional in instructing my own children. Now, it's real obvious what some of them caught from me, okay? You know, there's caught and taught, okay? But unfortunately, you know, we, we're, my children are Auburn fans except for one apostate, but she was an Auburn fan and she departed from the truth. Then, you know, and, and they didn't really get the Braves thing too much, you know. I guess if they're going to be baseball fans, they're going to be Braves fans. They're Atlanta Falcon fans. And then my son, and even, even Katie to some extent, uh, you know, my son still plays golf. And how frustrating is that? In other words, they caught, I didn't really set out to make them that way, but they caught it from me. But let me tell you something. If you've spent more time developing their golf game or their fishing game, or their baseball, or softball, or basketball, or soccer, or dance, or music, or academic game, then you have preparing them to walk with the Lord. You didn't prepare them. You didn't prepare them. And so, again, it, that makes it difficult for them to enter into and to have, again, a biblical marriage. And so, there to be involved in constant growth. And, and so many times, and not I, our members really don't talk this way, but I hear from other churches, you know, basically their goal is to get their kid baptized so they can move on with life. It has nothing to do with discipling their child and bringing them to a mature faith that they can establish a home built on biblical foundations. It's just, oh, we, we, we got their fire insurance. And again, 
it's a life that is intentional toward bibli- uh, building this biblical foundation. And yes, there is this cult kind of business versus taught. Are they seeing the biblical model employed in the home? I've told you this before. I think why so many, in the last 50 years, we've had so many people absolutely walk away from the church. Just absolutely say, you know, I want something real or, you know, you know the language I'm talking about. Just mo- There are some that will claim some intellectual difficulties with the Christian faith, you know, that whatever. But for the most part, they leave just disenchanted because, eh, it's all a game to begin with. Part of the problem is mamas and daddies that bring them to church that says Jesus loves you and all of this kind of stuff and define the home in a certain style and then they come home and see mom and daddy living out hell on earth in their marriage. And they go, that, that doesn't compute, that doesn't connect with them. Okay? Now, most of us are empty nesters now. And, and it's, I, I don't say these things because you can't go back and you know, put the toothpaste back in the tube, okay? You know, you can't do that. But you can call sin, sin. You follow what I'm saying? Whatever the issue is, whatever the failure is, as long as you're like, nah, nah, it's not my fault, and on and on and on it goes, then you will never know the healing grace of God until, you know what? I failed there. I sinned, and I want to repent of that. Maybe to whatever degree you can going forward, that you can assist your children or your grandchildren or nieces, nephews, whatever it is. Now, so entering marriage with an unbiblical foundation and, again, leading to unrealistic expectations. I've told you this before, and I, I don't think my mother and daddy were perfect. They were not. And again, I could tell you a lot of things that I think, well, maybe they, they dropped the ball on a, a little bit. They were great parents. I, again, I called one of the guys that grew up with my brother earlier this, this week. Uh, he and I talked together, and uh, like I've said it many times, he realized I wasn't the little jerk that was always messing with them. Uh, you know, when I was about 22 years old, he thought, you know, you're not half bad. You know, I, I just thought you were terrible when you were you know, eight years old. And so we, we're friends. And anyway, I was catching up with And particularly my brother's friends at Mother and Daddy's funeral. Y'all were so blessed to have your mother and daddy as your parents. In fact, two of them that stand out in my mind, both of them were raised by alcoholic fathers. And so, again, they, so we, were, we, we were blessed. But one of the things, and I've told you this before, I never saw Mother and Daddy get in an argument. I'm not saying they never did. I'm just saying I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. Okay? Now, I don't think my children can say the same thing of Dale and I. That, uh, you know, I've told you, when Dale and I married, the hard head married the hot head and vice versa. Okay? Uh, So, uh, we could discuss things rather abrasively at times. Again, not vulgar or anything like that. But just, you know, we we could cross, cross swords uh, a bit. But the truth is, it took me about 10 years to catch up with her. I wasn't prepared to fight. You know, I, I just, 
you know, she, she came in ready. And, and so it took me a while to, to learn because I just didn't see it. I didn't know. But, but that's a different culture. And I'm not saying her parents were, were that bad or anything, but she was just a, you know, I, I was very much passive and, you know, didn't necessarily want to always, you know, hash out every issue. But that's unrealistic. There's, folks, if you haven't figured it out, most of you have been married a good while in here. You're going to disagree on things occasionally. You can say amen to that. But you are. You're going to dis- disagree. And you need to be prepared for that. One of the things that I talk about in, in my premarital counseling, you've got to learn how to fight fair. You're going to fight. You've got to learn how to fight fair. And bringing up what happened 20 years ago is one example of not fighting fair. When you resolve an issue, it's resolved. When you forgive an issue, it's forgiven. You follow what I'm saying? But it's unrealistic to think, oh, we're never going to have a cross word. Trust me, you will. So, now, this unrealistic expectations, Hollywood and everything has instilled in us what we think romance, beauty, and marriage is. Now, I'm going to submit to you that we all have magazines in our home in which the people photograph probably look a little bit better than we do. There may be a few exceptions in here. I'll, you just, you, you just, if you think you're an exception, you, you, you go ahead and think that. But for the most part, you know, we, 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 we don't, that, that idea of Hollywood beauty is unrealistic. But it has nothing to do with true beauty and happiness in marriage. And so if your idea is that, you know, I'm going to marry, you know, Prince Charming or Princess Charming or whatever, you're going to be disappointed. And that's unrealistic to think that way. And one of the, one of the biggest problems we have is misunderstanding what love is. And I, I said something several weeks ago, and I told some of my buddies the other day, I said, you know, I shouldn't have said what I said from the pulpit. Sometimes preachers do that. I, I said it very crudely, and if you don't remember it, God bless you, and that's good. But what in the culture, what people kind of get in their head is when the hormones cease to rage, and I feel the pitter-patter, of, cease to feel the pitter-patter of my heart, then I no longer love my mate, and therefore I need to get divorced. And that's bull. Okay? That, that, that has nothing to do with the biblical concept of marriage and love. Okay? has nothing to do. Now, I've told you this before, and I mean this. I, I'm blessed that my beloved wife still makes my heart go pitter-patter. I'm not going to say that's the same for everyone. But I'm blessed. You know, sometimes people say, well, how do you do that? It ain't hard. It ain't hard. I mean, it's hard in sustaining the loss and what life could be. It's hard to deal with that. But to do for her is not hard. And I'm, I'm thankful. That's a grace. I'm not that good. Trust me. Y'all know that. But God has been very gracious to, to us. But biblical love has to do with an act of the will in serving, not with the felt emotions that have been defined and dictated to you by the fallen Sodom and Gomorrah world of Hollywood. 
And I've told you before, and I know you ladies going to roll your eyes. You know, you, you've got the, the teen romance bull that just makes me sick. But now, you know, on the, what is it, the Hallmark Channel, another W Channel, or what, Oprah Channel, or whoever, whatever all those are, you got those second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance romance movies that, you know, this flabby loser that I'm married to, one day I'll get rid of him some way or another, and I'll get me the hunk I deserve. Y'all looking at me real spiritual, but you know what I'm talking about. And I hate those things. I hate those things. And again, there's an unrealistic standard, and it's based in, in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. And then this unrealistic expect, expectations, and I try, I try to find, in, in premarital counseling, one of the things I try to do, are you looking for your mate to meet some type of need in your life? And if you're projecting upon the, the mate, this is what I need for my self-esteem, my satisfaction, you are setting yourself up for a tremendous disappointment. Jesus is who satisfies us. If it, your mate may satisfy in some arena, some way, but there will always be a void if you're looking for that mate to fill this void. And so again, just because that void is not met doesn't mean you're out of love that you should end the marriage. And so there's a search for fulfillment in your partner. And then so many times you bring into the marriage unresolved relational issues such as parental neglect and abuse over here and then continued parental entanglement. Now, the simplest thing that I can say to you about that is two words, or three words with the joining word in the middle. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. That is, marriage is a reordering of relationships. And one of the things that I've often had to deal with, both pre- and post-marital relationships, you establish the boundaries by which your parents can enter into your life. Now, my parents were pretty much kind of hands-off. And, and I've told you before, growing up, I got a lot of rope. I mean, they were not real. I mean, they were strict in some ways, but I can't. When I turned 16, man, I you know, went and did what I wanted to. I never gave them any trouble, but that's, that's the way it was. It's not that they didn't care. But again, they gave me enough rope that I learned if I stayed out too late, I still had to get up and go to work the next morning at 6 o'clock. You know, you pay, you pay the price. Not, well, Tim was out late last night. Let's let him sleep in today. That didn't go over at the Bryce Evans house, okay? You know, it was time to roll when it was time to roll. But, again, they, they, they were not much to interfere except when. And my dad did not interfere very much at all. But when he did, usually one or both of us got mad after the conversation was over. I told you this before, when I bought the house I live in now, I called and said, hey, we bought a house, and out of the blue, I got a royal ringing. I mean, over the phone from Somerville, Georgia, I got an earful. Now, I didn't speak to him for a couple of months. I, I was hot. Okay, wasn't his call. I was 45 years old, never asked him for a nickel, ran a business, 
raising kids. You know, certainly in the tone of voice he used on me. Now, my mother was more subtle about the little bit of interference that she engaged in. But I'm just saying that parents, you need to understand there's a new family unit being created with, with a new realm of authority and a new order, a husband and a wife, that, that their first priority is that relationship, not doing what, you know, you do. And, and usually... Just the holidays requires at least one counseling session. You know what I, what I tell young folks? Do what you want to do. In fact, my children will tell you my basic rule in life for them. If you don't want to do it, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you want to come see me, come see me. If you don't want to come see me, don't come see me. But don't do it, don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it out of, you know, do what you want to do. And we'll, we'll get along fine. But, again, unresolved issues there. And then throw children into the mix. Oh, my goodness. What we, what we see now, I think, even in the church, is child idolatry. Now, I've told you this many times before. If, if, if my dad's goal had been to make me happy, I would have never worked a day before I was 21 years old. Because I never wanted to get up at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning and go mix mud and carry blocks. I never wanted to go out and lay a house off. I never wanted to go and haul trash off. From a, I never wanted to do those things. But you know what? It didn't matter to Bryce Evans what I wanted to do. He could, he could have literally cared less about that. Okay? And what we see is parents just absolutely consumed with the happiness of their child. I've, I've talk, we did the Ted Tripp book a while back, and I told him, I said, listen, if I ever get behind you one night and you go through three drive throughs before you go home to get your kids supper, I will, I will drag you out of the car and stomp you in the parking lot. If they don't want to eat what you want them to eat, let them go hungry. Thank you, Brandy. Could you say amen, Brandy? Amen. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I mean, really. Really. So... Children can't be the fulcrum in the center of the home. Listen, there was no question in my mind that my dad was far more interested in, in the happiness of my mother, rightly so, than me. And again, we've raised children that expect, they expect their wife to treat them like their mothers did. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, they do. And like I say, listen, the, I mean, we hadn't gotten home from the honeymoon 24 hours. So my wife put her hands on her hip and said, your mother didn't do me any favors because I'd left my dirty clothes in the middle of the floor thinking the clothes fairy would come behind and pick those things up. And my wife told me very, very quickly that I did not marry a maid. So, again, all kinds of issues. Painful childbearing. I think I was laughing with Katie. Uh, you know, Jude's here and with us and all that. And I'm sure I, I haven't born a child. I'm pretty sure it's fairly painful. It, seem, it would seem to be. But she was chasing him around and da-da-da-da-da. You know what I told her? Painful childbearing. 
Yeah, being the sympathetic grandfather that father that I am. And so that goes on. Now, what else? Well, again, my generation, we got all kinds of sex issues. This, this is true. I, I'm saying, I'm not accusing, I'm talking about generationally. And that brings a lot of baggage into the marriage. Now, why do I say that now? Because you've got to call it sin and repent of it to know God's grace and healing. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's not a sin that God doesn't forgive. It's not a sin that can't be overcome. I'm just telling you, as long as you're making excuses, well, you know, I was in love or, you know, I had a great need or what, whatever excuse, as long as you're making excuses, you're hindering what God would do in your life so that you would know healing and wholeness. I don't say it to guilt trip you, make you feel bad, or make you cry here today, or whatever the deal is. But those things are important, and of course, including you may be a victim of abortion. And notice how I said that. If you've had an abortion, you're a victim. And we're finding now not only the ladies that struggle with this, but the men, the fathers, struggle as much with this great loss. They struggle as much with the loss as the lady does. And so again, the issue is repentance to know the grace of God. And then we talk about the exes. And two, just two things. Whether it's an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband or wife, you're not prepared to enter into a relationship until there's forgiveness. Now, we can talk a lot about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. But you're... We're to love our enemies. So if you want to consider your ex an enemy, what's the command? I didn't hear you. You've got to love them. You forgive them. You forgive them. Close that chapter on your life, but you forgive them. All right. Fourth thing, very, very quickly. I didn't, I didn't realize this would take this long. This is one that gets my blood boiling. Unnecessary complications. I don't know why marriage breeds laziness, particularly in men, but it does. You know, they just quit taking care of themselves, and they, they you know, they, they get, the, get in the recliner and, you know, read the newspaper and refuse to talk to their wives. Well, that's laziness and neglect, and it will come back to bite you. Then this whole business of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, whether it's toward parents or children or whatever, co-workers, bosses, it'll eat you up. And then a failure to communicate. I was looking at something related to this particular issue this week. The late R.C. Sproul was teaching a class. And at the end, somebody challenged him about something he said. And he said, I did not say that. And they said, yes, you did. And somebody else in the class chimed in and said, no, he didn't say that. He said this. He said, no, I didn't say that either. They had to go back and get the tapes. And he didn't say either thing. He didn't say either thing. And even in interpersonal relationships, what you're saying to each other is not what the other one is hearing many times. And the look on your face will often communicate more than the words of your mouth. And even, you know, 
sometimes there's difficult things that need to be talked about, and there are times to talk about it, and there's times not to talk about it. And if you've been married over a week, you ought to begin to be figuring that one out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but, you know, the day that everything goes wrong is not necessarily the day to say, you know what, you've been burning my toast every morning, or whatever the deal would be. But, you know, I've told you this before. I, I, you know, the, the interesting thing, you know, in the church is those that, that love you, they're kind of rare to criticize you. And I, and I appreciate that because I don't like to be criticized. I think it's true of y'all too, so don't, you know, don't look at me. You know. but, but those that are less than your biggest fans, we'll put it that way, uh, sometimes those that are angry at you will actually tell you things you need to hear. You follow what I'm saying? Sometimes those people that really, they don't care too much for what you're doing, and they'll let you have it a little bit, but if you can filter out some of the venom, sometimes you'll find, you know what? They're right. They're right. And sometimes in marriage, it's hard to hear what we need to hear. And we need to cultivate the culture of being able to speak to one another in love, even when it's something that you don't want to hear. Very difficult thing. Most marriages, I would say, never get to that point. They just con- And here's the thing. They continue to gloss over issues and gloss over issues and gloss over issues, and guess what? It's, it's just like an abscess. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And one day it will burst. That's a pleasant image to end the sermon on. All right. And then there's all these things that come to marriage. Things like addictions. If you're married to an addict, what challenges that brings to marriage. The issue of finances. I, I've, some people that uh, I think Bob Curley counseled, that he, he sat them down and said, here's the, deal. You're gonna, here's the three things that are going to bother you. Finances, sex, and in-laws. Pretty simple, but pretty nice summary. If you think money won't put a pressure, because typically, now, a person that likes to spend and a person that likes to save, sometimes they can work together. But if you've got two people that like to spend, somebody's going to spend you into a disaster. That's, that is a disaster waiting to happen. Okay? So the issue of financial mismanagement. One of my biggest mistakes as a husband and a father has been working too much. When I was in business, it wasn't unusual for me to come home at 9 or 10 o'clock. One of the greatest regrets I have in my... I believe in working hard, men and, and women. I, I believe... And I, I will tell you this. If all you're willing to do is put in a 40-hour work week, if that's... Hey, I... And my brother and I were talking about two of his buddies the other day. He was laughing. Hey, at 401, they wanted to be in the car headed home. You know, it... It's a fallen world. It's difficult to keep your head above water financially. And if all you're willing to do is just kind of punch that clock, it may be kind of tough. You know, it may be kind of tough. So I'm not saying, men, that you can't work overtime, that you can't be industrious, but you need to be careful. That job doesn't become an idol. That job doesn't provide some outlet that's unhealthy. But 
There's, we talked about this when we talked about Genesis 3. The earth does not produce the abundant harvest it once did. And I believe that's metaphorical. It's hard to make a living. But, like I say, if you're staying out till the kids are in bed every night working, you're asking for disaster. I was very blessed. And I, at, I came to a point where I realized what I was doing and not doing. But I wish I hadn't done a lot of things like I did them. So, and then the final thing, these unmanaged pressures. I speak as a golfer that if you're a good golfer, you're probably compromising something somewhere that doesn't need to be compromised. Uh, that is, uh, you can be consumed with your fishing and your hunting and your golfing and whatever else it is that men and women like to do. And particularly as a young family person, probably at best making maintain one hobby to some extent but probably your wife and your children are going to need to be your hobby for quite a few years hey it's, it's a good life it's a good life i i enjoyed that particular aspect of my life and uh, miss many of the things that we were able to do but you can see there's a whole host of things and pressures that that come to bear on a family that's why Paul can say just before he starts talking about family order you need to be wise you need to be alert you need, don't need to be drunk on what the world is selling you to drink you need to be filled with the spirit so you can be discerning what how what is the what is the agenda the goal what is the schedule my family shall keep when and where are we going to be at any given time how are we, you know, now, does anybody here have unlimited financial resources? Well, would you raise your hand? I need to talk to you after church, okay? Uh, and Mike Burdett will be, be with me uh, to, to do this. But unlimited financial resources, anybody? No? I'm kind of shocked. You only got so many hours in a day and a week. You only got so much money coming into a household. Now, how, how are you going to spend those things? Vanity? You're going to let the world dictate to you what your schedule for your family should be. Why? Well, it's dangerous. Why well, you got to be alert? Why well, you got to be aware? What is God's will? What are the God's priorities for your family? How do I, how do I prepare my children, my grandchildren maybe, to have healthy and productive lives as they cultivate this next generation, this one flesh relationship. Again, for their good, for their flourishing, and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the implications of that gospel. Lord, that uh, we don't have to live lives that are characterized, that would be summarized by the exclamation of vanity that we can live our lives in a way that please you and bring about the flourishing of our mates and of our children and even for generations to come lord i pray that you would cause us to live wisely and to live carefully in a world that is very very difficult to live in we ask these things in jesus name amen